Thank you, praise team. Well, we see, I see we have the salvation candle. Bob, I saw you lit that. Praise the Lord. And we're thankful for another soul that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ on their way to heaven. And uh, that's always good. We should celebrate that, right? That, that would be a good time to give a hand that the salvation candle is lit. But you're not going to do it. Even if I beg you to do it, you're not going to do it this morning. Let's give that a hand, all right? Yeah. I, I think we need to celebrate because that is that's what we're in the business of doing is helping people find relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and the purpose of this series is to help us uh, to be better, better at leading people in a discipleship process, talking about Jesus, having conversations with people. Um, we, we, we began this series with this simple ideal. Everyone has a personal and unique faith journey. I, I have a, a unique faith journey. You have a unique faith journey. There's been people that's been placed in your path. And there's been people that's been placed in my path. And one conversation at a time, uh, we've, um, we've been led into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and so as part of this series, we've been sharing uh, different people's stories. And so we're going to share another story now. So my coming to know Christ was through a lot of different people, actually. Um, I never grew up in church. I didn't have a family that was very religious. God was used as a fear thing, so you didn't do things. Um, because if you did, then you know you had the wrath of God to fear. It wasn't a loving relationship. It wasn't anything positive. Um, I started to try to go to church on my own at 16. I would walk forever and... Um, it just ended up getting too much, and I didn't have rides, and it it just never really worked out. So I didn't have any kind of contact with churches or relationship with God or other Christians until I was 21, and that is when I um, married my husband, though we had been together and married for a few years, but um, that is when I became a Mormon, and the relationship that you have and form there with other people and with God is totally different. And um, I was in the Mormon religion for 13 years and um, about almost two years ago, two years in June, I started really questioning some of the things that they had taught and just not sure what to believe anymore and I was you know really remember there was one thing that stood out which was you know getting to heaven and especially when you have children you start to think about that stuff so how do I teach my kids about God how do I teach them about a relationship with Jesus Christ and how do I get them to where you know I want them to be and where I want to be and being in heaven and the Mormon religion believes that you cannot make it to heaven without being married to a man. You have to have a man to bring you to that. And that really was unsettling to me. And that is when I first started to try to find the truth for myself instead of believing what everybody else just told me. And um, I have a really good friend who um, is a Christian, and um, his name is Tim. And we would have conversations and I would try to prove to him why the Mormon faith was was right and why it was true and he wouldn't say much. Um, he'd just kind of let me talk and 
he'd just end it with, well, I know Jesus loves you. And and those words meant so much more to me than any amount of anything else that he could have said. And my daughter started pageants and um, it's a Christian-based pageant system. And the director one day, I was just feeling really, really down. And it was the first day I met her and they were doing a pageant and she came up to me and she hugged me. And when she hugged me, I don't know how to describe it. There was, it wasn't just her hug. There was something more to it. There was something that touched deeper than just, oh, I'm, I'm physically touching you and hugging you. And she opens up all of her pageants with a prayer. And she said in her prayer to please let everyone there know how much, you know, Jesus loves them and how much they're loved and um, appreciated. And it, it hit me that that wasn't just a hug from her. It was a hug from Christ. And so I was like, I really need to find out more about this. I really need to figure out what this is because I had never known God to be love. I had known it to be fear. And so I continued to look into things. I continued to ask questions. I continued to talk with Miss Pat and with Tim and and with um, his now wife, Roberta, and they really helped me to kind of have an understanding and a grasp of what it meant. And I just was so blown away with the fact that that Jesus and <laughs> was love that I'm still kind of getting used to it. I've got to be honest. <laughs> um, but that is what led me to leave the Mormon church and what led me to come here. I've tried other churches before I came here and it didn't feel right. It didn't have that love. It didn't have that sense of home. And I remember coming here my first time and everybody was so loving. There's that love. (laughs) And you could feel not only that they were happy to see you, but there was a genuine Christ-like love through everybody here that I was like, I'm home. This is where I'm meant to be. The truth is, there's all sorts of Rebecca's. And two weeks ago, we, we showed a video from Kristen Polly. There's all sorts of Rebecca's and Kristen's out there waiting for someone. They, they're, they're sincerely searching for a true and right relationship. And they're looking for people like you and I that can, through conversation, through sharing the love of Christ, show them who God is and what He has in store for them. All of us, Rebecca, Kristen, everyone in this room has been influenced one conversation at a time. And I I was talking to my mom last night, and I was reminded, I used to go see my grandmother, uh, and I would go sit, and we'd have these conversations and I can still think how forming those conversations, even though they were just simple little conversations, how forming they have been in my life. Family, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, people in the community, we can have an impact. And, and we're, we're tasked with Christ's mission, the mission of Jesus, Acts 1-8, but you will see, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so the Spirit is given to us not, not as this 
just this personal power for our own use. The Spirit is not given just for this, this personal piety. That the Spirit is given to us so that we can be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, our, our local place, in Judea, further out, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 19-20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and we began this series, we talked about how this, this great commission, we're, we're given the great commission, we're given the great commandment, that this great commandment to love God and love others, and this great commission, which is our mission to the world, to be His disciples, leading others to be disciples of Jesus. And the phrase that's used, go therefore, is in your going. In other words, as we go about our life, as we go about our ordinary, normal life, in our going, we are to be making disciples. It's not a program. It's, it, it, it's not just something we do on Sundays or, or Wednesdays or when we're in church. But, but there's this ideal that Jesus had that in the way we live our lives and the communications we have and the conversations that we have, we are His disciples making disciples. Uh, folks, that elevates life. You realize that, right? <laughs> that, that elevates the opportunities of life that we have. And Jesus modeled this. Jesus modeled discipleship in his going. And I'm fast, I don't know about you folks, but I'm fascinated by the conversations of Jesus and, and how Jesus in everyday ordinary conversations and in extraordinary encounters and ordinary encounters, Jesus could transform people's lives. And I'm amazed how often Jesus listened in the midst of his conversations. And so discipleship, as we go through this series, discipleship is a commitment to conversation, not conquest. In other words, it's not about how many notches we can get on our belt. It's, it's not about subduing someone to your way of thinking. It's not about winning the debate. But it's a, it's a commitment to conversation where folks can encounter this loving Jesus that encountered people just like that. Amen. So how do we make the most of our conversations? How do we move conversations to discipleship? How, how do we move uh, the, the, the simple uh, conversation to something deeper? And, 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 and we talked about last week, I don't, I'm not... A, a natural conversationalist. Who would raise their hand and say you're pretty introverted other than me? And, and so this move to deeper conversation is not easy for most. There, there's some of you that, that, that are uh, rules, to the, the exceptions to the rules. Terry Moore can talk to anybody about anything for as long as you want to talk about it, right? You know, we, we know there's a few people that are gifted and we, gave, we talked about finding those people and, and watching how they engage people because I, I truly... I want to be better at engaging people in conversations, not just for the purpose of being a good conversationalist, but, but so that there can be opportunities for me to share Jesus and what Jesus means to me and what Jesus could mean to them in the midst of that conversation. And so how do we, how do we 
move through conversations? And how do we move it to discipleship? And, and I want to be careful here that this is kind of a, a formula, but, but, but I don't want us to see discipleship as a formula. That, that it's, it's got to follow the same pattern every time because it didn't always follow the same pattern every time, even with Jesus. Now, Jesus met people right where they were. You know, it wasn't a sales pitch. So how did Jesus see and interact with people? And, and there's many relationships. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes relationships, conversations are one and done, right? Uh, and, and, and I've seen God work in conversations like that. But think about the people who've been the most influential, influential in your life spiritually. Most of them have not been one-and-done conversations, have they? They've been long-standing, one conversation at a time. No one, no one wants to be a target. <laughs> and that includes people that we are discipling and engaging in. But everyone wants to be loved. And true di discipleship is born out of a genuine love and friendship. In other words, we don't just befriend people so they can become a sales pitch or a sales target, but, but we befriend and we love people because the mandate of Jesus is that we befriend and we love people. Amen. Discipleship is not just a, a conversion to your way of thinking of living, but it's sharing this most significant part of our lives, this relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to look at a conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. I don't know, I've, I think I've preached, this, this is either my third or fourth series I've preached from, from John chapter 4, and I don't think I've preached the same series every time. That's the wonderful thing about God's Word, right? We can read God's Word, and there are so many ways that the Holy Spirit can speak to us through God's Word, and, and, and I love this little story. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Jesus' encounter with the, the Samaritan woman. So we're going to work through this for the next, um, next three weeks. There's going to be a break in there for our generation service, which I hope you're getting so excited about the generation service. October 29th, one service, everybody together, 10 a.m., okay? October 29th, what time's the service? Okay, 10 a.m., we have a service. That it's, it's going to in, incorporate older folks, younger folks, kids. Uh, there's videos from many people, and, and I, I've looked at what uh, Kim and Josh has done. You will not want to miss it. I'm telling you, you won't want to miss it. And then we're going to go eat together. And if you like to eat, say amen. amen. Yeah, you, more of you like to eat than that. October 29th, two weeks. And so uh, this week and next week will be in this series. Then November 5th, we'll, we'll close out this series um, and be looking at John 4 uh, as our, our basis. Uh, John 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
Now, we're going to stop there, and, and we'll pick up next week and go a little bit further. But, but I want us to stop right here and, and look at this, this engaging of this Samaritan woman. Now, now, there are several things that I think are important to consider as, as we look at um, this circumstance. The first thing that we need to look at and see is that Jesus saw the holy opportunity despite the preoccupying circumstances. Uh, there, there is a level of inconvenience here. There, there is the traveling. Who likes to travel? Right? You know, who, who likes to, oh, just I just love to be on buses and trains and planes. I like to go places, but I don't like the traveling. Amen? <laughs> you know, you get on an airplane and you get through, you know, it, it's a lot harder to get through all the things you have to do now. And you get there and you want to sit and you want to go to sleep. And, and I know... I'm going to sound very bad here. I know, and this is an introvert. The worst thing that can happen is someone want to start talking to you when you want to go to sleep on an airplane. Amen? Anybody? You know, it's, oh, no. Now I've got to be nice. You know, there's an inconvenience here. There's a tired Jesus. Jesus is physical. He's tired. He's hungry. It's hot. He's, He's weary from the journey. He's planning the next move, right? Anybody ever been like that? That, that okay, I'm going, to some, I'm going to Galilee. You know, this is going on. So, you know, I, I think you can infer in this passage that there's a lot of planning going on in the mind of Jesus. He's hungry. Now, my, my niece says when she's hungry, she gets hangry. <laughs> Anybody get hangry when you get hungry? You know, just a little bit of anger. I don't think Jesus got hangry. He was Jesus, right? Uh, But there's some preoccupation. But Jesus saw opportunity even in the midst of all these preoccupations that that could have went through his mind. So are you able to see your holy opportunities despite preoccupying circumstances? (laughs) Let me ask you. Is, is at, the, at the base of this, at, at, at the back of this, is this a spiritual battle? Is it? Do we believe that still as a church? That at the base of this, that there is an unseen war going on in our life that affects our physical. Our physical is not the main battle. There's a spiritual battle going on all around you. Do, do we still believe... And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Do we still believe that we have a, a, a real and personal enemy of our soul? We have a Satan enemy, a real enemy that is seeking to destroy and devour our families and our lives. We believe that, right? Is it possible that some of the preoccupation that we deal with is not just physical but spiritual? Is it possible that, that sometimes... The enemy of your soul causes you to miss holy opportunities by just preoccupying your mind with whether you need something to eat, whether you're tired, or whether you need to plan for something else. Now let's forget last week. It's not a guilt trip. But I think we have to have the realization that these conversations, these holy opportunities that we have all around us are eternal opportunities. They are significant. They have meaning. That, that all around you last week were people like Rebecca that had never understood or seen who Jesus really was. 
And when we miss those opportunities, we miss eternal opportunities. So what about this week? When you come home from work and you're tired and your kids or your spouse seem to be a nuisance. <laughs> I know, none of ever thinks that. Or at work, or at church, or at the restaurant today, or in your neighborhood, or, or, or at the park, or wherever you find yourself. So how do you avoid preoccupation? Because I think our natural bent is that we become preoccupied. I, I think the natural bent of people are to be self-occupied. Amen? That, that we're more concerned. And, and I don't think it's, it, maybe it's a survival mechanism. But I think most people are more concerned whether they're hungry than the person next to them is hungry, right? And so there's this natural self-occupation. And I think we have to train ourselves. We have to do things to remind ourselves of the people around us. So, so maybe you want to train yourself. Maybe chew gum. And every time you chomp on that gum, remind yourself, hey, there's other people around me. Maybe, maybe drink a glass of water. Do, do something. Have cup, a, a cup of coffee and sip it every time you're in, in a group of people. Do jumping jacks. Now that would draw some conversations, wouldn't it? But do something to, to wake yourself up to the opportunities around you. And then beyond the preoccupation, th this is a Samaritan woman. <laughs> This is not someone Jesus, as a Jewish man, should engage. And you guys have all heard this. You're, you're, you're familiar with Samaritans. Samaritans were, were the people of really what was Israel. Judah was sent into captivity. Israel was the, the divided kingdom. Israel was sent into captivity. Israel really never came back. Uh, but it became Samaria, but, but the people in Samaria did not see themselves as something less or a hybrid of people, even though they were. As a matter of fact, they, they tended to see themselves, some of them did at least, as the true Israel because they had remained and they had stayed there. And Judah was the one that had went away and came back differently. And, and so there was this... There was this conflict between Samaria and Judah. It wasn't just that they were neighboring countries. that There was tension between them. And Samaria, when it benefited them, were Jewish. And when it didn't benefit them, they weren't Jewish. And, and so there's great wars where they would side with other countries just because it was in their benefit and side against Judah. And so some Jews hated Samaritans. They couldn't stand them. Couldn't tolerate them. Wouldn't, wouldn't be with them. And, and this is a Samaritan woman. As a matter of fact, most of the time, if they had time, they, they would bypass Samaria altogether and, and take a long way just so they wouldn't go through Samaria. And she was a woman. Jesus as a man, a Jewish man would pray, and one of the things that he would thank God for was that he was not a woman. <laughs> and let me tell you, anytime I go to a sporting event and look at the restrooms and the ladies' restrooms compared to the men's restrooms, I say the same prayer, right? <laughs> that'll, that'll hit you later, maybe. <laughs> Jewish men 
would not engage a woman in a conversation, particularly a Samaritan woman. Jesus saw a holy opportunity where others would only see a barrier. What about us? What about you? What about me? Are there people you won't approach? Um, and, and I want to be careful here because I, I don't want to further any prejudices. I, I don't. But, but you know this. Are there people in your mind that they have certain characteristics or if they're doing certain things or they look a certain way or if they speak a certain way or they, you know, maybe if it's somebody that doesn't drive a Honda. That's a, that's a safe. You won't approach them. And I don't know, I don't know who that might be with you, uh, but you do. You know, I practiced law for 14 years, and I practiced law in downtown Dayton. And, I, you know, I, I, I represented every race, almost every nationality you could think of. I, I, I represented people that were rougher and people that weren't rougher. And, you know, I was East Dayton, West Dayton. If you know anything about Dayton, East Dayton and West. East Dayton's Appalachian, West Dayton's uh, is the African-American population, too diverse. And I served subpoenas and I represented people all over Dayton. And you know what I found? Most people, not all people, there's, 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 there's exceptions to every rule, but most people are willing to engage in kind, non-judgmental conversations. I don't care what they look like, most people will have kind, non-judgmental conversations with you. But the key is non-judgmental. See, see, if we come into these relationships and these conversations as if we're the holy authority on everything and they're so lost and we're so found, when we approach people like that, it becomes a great turnoff and they're not going to hear anything you have to say. We live in a different age. I, I believe 40 years ago, 40 years ago, you could begin a conversation about God with sin. You could. Now, now we understand that's the problem, right? As the people of God, don't, don't mishear me to be saying that, oh, pastor is saying sin's not the problem. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is most people that you engage do not see sin as the problem. They don't. And so when we begin the conversation there, it never gets to the point of relationship with Jesus Christ. And so most people, like Rebecca, the conversation with Rebecca didn't begin with, you are a sinner and you need saved, but there is a God who loves you, who desires relationship with you. It is a significant change that if the church cannot adjust language, you know, not that we won't get to salvation, but folks, it begins with a Jesus that loves them, that wants to have relationship with them, that there is meaning that can be applied to your life. We need to know who we're talking to. <laughs> When we have conversations, we, we, we need to understand where the conversation starts. And I don't know how we can do that without listening. 
Um, I, I have a, you know, Jesus approached people where they were. And, we, and we, I think we talked about John 3. We have John 3, and this is, this is Nicodemus, uh, the spiritual leader. And then you have John 4, who is the Samaritan woman. And, and the dynamics of the conversation are completely different between John 3 and John 4. Jesus begins John 3. What, what, what's John 3, 3 say? Oh, you guys, we're, we're going to have to go to basic Bible class. You know what John 3, 16? John 3, 3 says, you must be born again. I mean, right out of the, right out of the box with Nicodemus, Jesus says, oh, by the way, you need to be born again, brother. And this is the significant meaning to a Jewish guy that, that this is, I know you've been born Jewish and you think you've got everything under control and you understand everything, but you don't understand everything, anything, and you need to be converted to Judaism, <laughs> is what Jesus is saying to him. This leader, this member of the Sanhedrin, you need to be born again. But Jesus doesn't start this conversation with the Samaritan woman in the same way. He knew who he was talking to. It's not a formula. It's not, it's not as simple as every conversation, every discipling opportunity is the Roman road. Nothing wrong with the Roman road, but it goes beyond that, particularly as we engage a post-Christian culture. Do you see the holy opportunities or the barriers? Jesus saw the opportunity. And Jesus began his connection really simply. What's he say? Give me a drink. I've been amazed that Jesus could take an ordinary conversation like this and it turns into something completely extraordinary. And it's only by the Holy Spirit's work and Jesus' listening that it happens. Amen. Give me a drink. In the physical world, over and over, Jesus encounters people in their physical world. The, the miracles, the healings. These are encounters in the physical world. He, he turns water into grape juice <laughs> or wine. Where, you know, I'm sorry, in Nazarene it's easy to say grape juice. Turns the water into wine. Physical world. Zacchaeus. What's he tell Zacchaeus? I'm going to your house for? Tea. Peter, let's go fishing. Over and over, Jesus encounters people in the physical world. And I believe if Jesus begins the process there, we should. See, spiritual conversations begin in our physical world. Well, where can we connect? OSU football, right? Did they win last night? Yeah, you guys should be happier this morning. OSU football, Super Bowl parties, similar hobbies. You know, it's one of the things I love about our quilters. Our quilters meet people at a, at a, a consistent, a, a, a similar physical need or desire or interest. And it goes deeper, doesn't it? 
It's that physical need, that physical desire has led to connections that go to spiritual things. And even with people that, many of the ladies that are part of you guys' quilting group aren't even part of a local church, are they? And some of them are far from faith in Christ. And yet there's spiritual conversations occurring in the midst of our quilters. Work connections. Kids the same age. Grandkids who are beautiful. <laughs> Sickness in the family. You want to connect to somebody in a, in, a, in a time of need? Sickness in the family. Financial concerns. Our fall fun fest. Last plug. You know why it's the last plug? Because next time I preach, it'll be done. <laughs> But our Fall Fun Fest, these kind of activities is your church's opportunity to connect with people in the physical world, to begin these spiritual conversations. And it's significant, not, not because you'll be here and, and, and you'll see people you don't know, but I think it's significant because you'll see people here you do know that you'll see your neighbors, that you'll see people who are classmates or were classmates, you'll, you'll see cla former classmates with their kids and their grandkids, and it will give you an opportunity to connect in the physical world and begin to share the love of Christ. Now, we're not doing this simply for notches on our evangelistic belt. Jesus didn't encounter people just because he wanted a list of people in a book that found salvation, but, but he understood that life was found in his Father. And Jesus really cared for us, and he really cared for others, and we love people by getting to really know them. This means that discipleship begins and ends with love. Um, so, this morning, <laughs> I don't know where you're at. Uh, but, but, but discipleship is one of the most loving things you can do. It is. To, to share who Jesus is, to share your life in Christ, and to out, allow other people to begin to participate in a relationship with Christ, that is the most giving, loving thing you could ever give anyone. Now, I know this isn't, a, this isn't evangelism, um, uh, evangelistic sermon, but, but I believe God deserves a response. And so I'm going to ask Bob to come, and, and we're going to pray here in a little bit. I'm going to ask you just to stand. I went a little bit longer. I don't usually, I'm trying not to preach for 35 minutes. And everybody said, please, pastor, don't preach 35 minutes. We need 20 minutes. Um, we're a responsive church. We are. And uh, I, one of the things I really appreciate about our church is we respond. When God talks to us, we respond. And, and so maybe he's speaking to you. And uh, we use our altars. Our altars are always available for you to use and just a great place to meet with God as you come forward. I think in faith you're saying, hey God, I'm going to trust you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Maybe there's something you're going through that you just want to meet with God and respond to Him and it has nothing to do with serving. Maybe it has something to do with serving. Maybe God's laying people on your heart that you want to see to come into a living relationship with Him and you want to pray for them. Or maybe it's even possible that this morning the Spirit's talking to you and you realize that your relationship's not what it should be. And this is just a good opportunity to meet with Him. So we're going to wait just a couple minutes. Altars are available, and then Bob's going to close us in prayer.
Father, sometimes the best conversations that we have with you is when we don't say anything. But listen to your still small voice. And to be in tune to that voice that when we are preoccupied, we can still hear it. Speak, Lord. Father, we've known you and know your love and wonder why you would love us, sinners, condemned, unclean. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful is your love for us. And you've shed your love abroad in our hearts, not for us to contain it, but to be channels through which it flows to others. Really, Lord, help us to be sensitive to those who need to know that we care and that you love them and that we love them. I don't know if John Maxwell is the one who coined the concept, but it's true when he said people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And we know how much you care. And we want to be you, your hands that are extended, your arms that enfold, your ears that listen, your eyes that see beyond the surface. Father, we come to you as a body of believers, as is part of your family. And one of the ways that we love each other is to pray for each other. We thank you for the opportunity in various ways of being able to share with others the things that we face and know that they're lifting us up to you. And when we're going through that difficult circumstance to feel the undergirding of your arms because they're praying. Help us to be also those who are praying for unsaved loved ones, for family members who need your touch in some way. And Holy Spirit, when you bring someone to our minds throughout the day, help us just to stop, even if it's for a moment, and and lift them to you 
and then believe that you've heard. The physical needs that are listed in our bulletin are many and different, and you're greater than all of them. And once again, we lift them to you. We know that we're not heard by the number of times that we ask or how many are asking, but you respond to our faith. And it's our faith that brings us to you knowing that you're able to do far beyond what we can even ask or think. But Lord, sometimes we need to have your word. This is what I want to do. Ask me for this, and I'll do it. The word tells us that if we ask anything according to your will, we know that you hear us. And if we know that you hear us, we also know that we're going to receive the petitions that we've requested of you. Hallelujah. So like the disciples of old, in many situations, we say, Lord, increase our faith. So we thank you for what you're doing in all the physical needs, all those that have to do with relationships and finances and work and on and on. You're working, and we thank you. Now, Lord, we're about to go from this place to the world where you have placed us. Help us to go aware that there are people who need to be loved and that we can let your love flow through us to them. And then love is made perfect. We praise you and bless your holy name through Jesus, your Son. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.